It is indeed very good to be with you this evening. Thank you for the invitation. I wonder what you were thinking as you listened particularly to the Old Testament lesson tonight, and I do thank Francis for reading a difficult, complicated passage so very well. I wonder if you were beginning to wonder whether you could perhaps sneak out during the hymn after it. It's the lectionary passage for a second service today, so don't blame me. It's a very messy story with perhaps one outstanding phrase that I've chosen as the title for the sermon, this is a day of good news. I think I now have the option of making the story even more unclear to us all, or perhaps shining a little light on it. I hope it will be the latter. I suppose I need to confess to a tendency to being rather tidy-minded, and a bit of an obsession, really, with tidiness and order. You could ask my children about that. I won't say I'm OCD, because I know what a debilitating condition that can be for people who do experience it. But I have a nephew who's very like me, and he often says it's not OCD, it's OCP, it's a privilege. And I know that I function better when things are in order. So whether that's my work around the Methodist Church, or whether it's the life and happenings of my own home and garden, I'm very unlikely to sit down and read a book if there's something that needs tidying up in the house. So you guessed it, I'm very unlikely to sit down and read a book. And in the garden, I'm very unlikely to sit and enjoy the scents and the colors if there's any weeds that need pulling. So again, I'm very unlikely to sit down there. Thankfully, I'm married, and I've been married for 34 years, to someone who finds it very easy to relax amidst the wreckage and to chill out amongst the chaos. So I am trying to learn from him. Because deep down, I know that the world can't function on my system. And particularly, I want to say tonight, the church can't function on that sort of system. We will never get everything tidied up and sorted out, much as as Methodists we try to do so. And the danger is that we delay our mission until we've got the place tidy, and then it never happens. And I know really from my love of gardening that tidiness is a death knell in the garden as well. Seed heads and dead flowers and plants need to be left there to rot and to explode and to send their seeds around the garden that more life may flourish. What would it be like if we were more like that in our own churches too? So I guess what I'm suggesting tonight really is that all of us, and especially me, need to learn to be a little bit messier. We're all called, in every sense, to be messy church. And as I've said, this story that we heard from the second book of Kings is set in a very messy context, as so many Bible stories are. And if you've been following the lectionary passages on the mornings over the last few months, following through the stories of the families of the patriarchs, what messy, dysfunctional families they were. We kid ourselves if we think that they are some sort of plaster saints. So this story is messy because it's set in wartime. It's a context of war where Aram, or Syria, is besieging Samaria, and there's been great suffering, great deprivation, great loss of life. War is always messy. It always creates suffering. It always harms people who are innocent victims of the clashes between their rulers and who pay the price in famine, 
rape, bereavement. We see war and its horrific results all across the pages of the Old Testament. And we see it across the pages of our newspapers too, don't we? Sometimes it seems as though humanity has learned very little over the millennia. So it's a messy context because it's war. It's a messy context too because it's about sickness and exclusion. Four men we hear are afflicted with leprosy. So they're living outside the city or rather they're dying outside the city wall. They're outcasts, they're feared and rejected and now in this context of war, left to fend for themselves. That too is not an unfamiliar scenario. AIDS and our society's struggle to find compassion for people who are suffering enough without having rejection added to their experience is such a similar situation. So it's a messy context. And we know about mess today in so many ways. I wonder if any of you watched any of the television series Broken not so long ago. The stories of a Roman Catholic priest living in a town in the north of England. And week by week as the drama unfolded, he found himself ministering in the messiness of real people and their lives. And I found it a very moving and challenging drama. And it made me ask myself the question, how much of what I do day by day is actually connecting with the messiness of people's lives? So we have a messy context for our Bible passage. It's also a story where the characters and the factions and the motives are messy and maybe rather confusing. I don't know about you, but when I come to a story or, or a book or a film, I like to sort out in my head, who are the goodies and who are the baddies? Who should I be cheering for and who should I be hissing? Who is on the Lord's side, we might say. And perhaps that's why we're sometimes struggling when we come to an Old Testament story out of context. Here, just to be brief with a bit of background, we find Samaria, who in parts of the New Testament, we might think of John 4 and the woman at the well in Samaria, often in the New Testament, Samaria seems to be on the wrong side of the line. But here, Samaria is the home of the prophet Elisha, the home of God's people. Whereas Syria, also called Aram, with whom in the current context we have so much sympathy because of the situation there, they in this story are the oppressors. But don't worry about all that. Set that aside as background to what I hope we're going to hear from God tonight. But then the characters themselves actually are also rather confusing and so are their motives. The captain of the guard, the one who gets trampled to death at the end of the story, he's part of the Samaritan army. He's on the Lord's side but he doesn't believe Elisha's prophecy. And then Elisha, the prophet, well, surely he must be a good guy. But he effectively is the one prophesying the very unpleasant trampling to death of the captain. The king, he should definitely be praying for a miracle from Yahweh. But when one comes, he thinks it's a trap. And the four lepers who perhaps have our sympathy because they're poor and they're starving and they're sick and they're outcast people and they become the heroes of the story. But if you look closely, they're really chances. They're opportunist thieves who are dishonest about their actions and they only share the good news because they realize they'll be punished if they don't. What a mixed bag, what a messy passage. Why is this story part of our lectionary? And why on earth have I chosen to preach on it tonight? 
Because I think we too live in times of messy motives, of mixed up allegiances, of complex alliances, of indistinct factions. Who would have ever thought we would see the Tory party going cap in hand to the DUP? And in our churches too, I think, we are finding new ways of working with each other and very often of working with members of other faiths or none as we discover that all sorts of people hold kingdom values. All sorts of people are working for the same sort of things as we are. Here in London over recent months, the world has watched as Muslim and Christian and those of other faiths and none have worked shoulder to shoulder in comforting and relieving the afflictions caused by the Grenfell Tower fire and so many other situations. In Glasgow, where I now live, we rejoice that Catholics and Protestants worship together at ecumenical services now, where in, in living memory, there are people on both sides who say they were brought up to, be, to believe it was a sin to go into the other's churches. It's not so easy to label people anymore and thank goodness for that. So against this background of, of messiness, which I think I've probably painted thoroughly enough and maybe confused us all, I want to come now to the title of the sermon, This is a Day of Good News. For I believe it is indeed a story of very good news in two particular ways. In all of this mess, that the narrator of Two Kings tells us about. God is still at work, doing things which actually no one had asked God to do. No one had even thought of asking for. Lying behind this incident that we heard about, and it was referred to in the passage Francis read, the Syrian army, the oppressing army, have heard a sound as of marching which has convinced them that the Hittite army is on its way to destroy them, and so they have fled. The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they had said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys and left the camp as it was, and ran for their lives. I find this very exciting, actually, because however much of two kings you read, there's nowhere had anyone thought to ask God to do that. God is so much greater than our prayers, our ideas, our systems, our agendas, our projects, our plans. Praise God. What might God be at work doing, even right now, in the battlefields of mess and suffering which are to be found in every community, around every church, in every family. And how can we train our ears so that we hear the sound of God at work? And unlike this army, correctly identify it and are ready to join in. The mind boggles at the possibilities. As I've already said, I live in Scotland now. And in Scotland, Methodism is very sparse and struggling for survival. Tony said in his interview with Lorraine that there are 188,000 and something else members left in the Methodist Church in the whole of Britain. Of them, less than 2,000 are in Scotland. So we are thinly spread north of the border. 
And when Andrew, my husband, who's the superintendent minister of the Strathclyde circuit, the area around Glasgow, when he and I went there two years ago, we, of course, began to pray for the Methodist Church in Scotland. We prayed for the members, and we prayed for the stewards, and we prayed for the buildings, and we prayed for the communities in which they live, and we prayed for everything we could think of, and we still do, and we are seeing some prayers being answered in small ways. But in July this year, when Andrew received three phone calls from three different supernumerary Methodist ministers serving currently in England, who are all planning to move to Glasgow, we looked at each other in amazement and asked each other, did we pray for this? We concluded that we hadn't. We'd never even thought of this as a possible happening, but how exciting it is. Now, of course, I don't want to compare three supernumerary Methodist ministers moving to Scotland with an approaching Hittite army. But there are similarities. God seems to be at work in ways which we had never thought of. Hallelujah. And by the way, we still have room for more and lay people too, if you fancy a move. It's good news that God is still at work and in ways that we may not have considered. And then secondly, God is generous amidst the the mess. Starving, ragged, rejected, broken men, these four lepers, they suddenly find food and drink, silver and gold and fine clothing. God is good. The inexhaustible goodness of God, the inexhaustible generosity of God, take my breath away whenever I encounter it. These men may not have deserved the miserable life that they had at the start of the story, but they certainly didn't deserve this either. And that's the wonderful thing about grace. It's nothing to do with what we deserve. Grace just can't help giving. Jesus just can't help pouring out his love. God just can't help giving himself to us again and again and again. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, pouring his grace on our lives day by day. And those two are some of the reasons why Lorraine and I have chosen for this year the theme of day by day, exploring the rhythm of mission and discipleship, because we're amazed and blessed by God's goodness, God's grace, day by day. In the midst of messiness, God is generous. God doesn't wait for us to deserve blessing or healing or peace or joy. God goes right in and gives it anyway. And that's what grace is, of course. That's really what healing is, I think. God's grace poured into messy lives. But I sense there could be a tension between wholeness and messiness if we misunderstand wholeness, to think of it as everything being tidy and sorted out where I began. I don't think it is that. And I think that's where the Pharisees went wrong in the gospel passage we also heard read. In fact, it's where the Pharisees so often went wrong. Sometimes when I read the New Testament, I rather fear that I would have made quite a good Pharisee myself. And I don't like that thought because the Pharisees also cannot cope with mess. In particular, in this incident, they can't cope with hands that haven't been washed according to their ritual practices. 
For them, wholeness, rightness, goodness, therefore godliness, was manifested by keeping the law and all the traditions of their own making. And they couldn't see beyond that or around that. It reminds me of the Catherine Hepburn quotation, which Lorraine used in her address at the Methodist Conference, and some of you will have seen or heard that. Catherine Hepburn has said, if you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. And I think in a way that little phrase is a paraphrase of what Jesus says in reply here to the Pharisees. If you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. Because Jesus points out to them that by keeping all of their own fiddly rules and traditions, they actually miss keeping God's real commandment, which is essentially not rule-based at all, but love-based. And that's much more fun. So Lord, preserve me. Lord, preserve us all from making the same mistakes, from waiting for other people to put their lives in order before we draw alongside, from trying to tidy up our own lives before we ask God for help. When my younger son was about two, He was obsessed with shoes. He may have been two and a half. And in particular with taking the shoelaces out of people's shoes when they weren't looking, which could be very annoying if you then needed to go out in a hurry. And he had been told many times not to do this. And he did it, of course, again and again. And on one occasion, my husband just was so infuriated. He said to Peter, you sit there and you put them back in or you say sorry. Well, for 45 minutes, Peter, this little toddler, struggled to put the shoelaces back into the shoe. Of course, he couldn't do it, but he was so determined not to say sorry. And aren't we like that sometimes? So determined to sort out our own messes and not to ask for help or to say sorry. In that TV series to which I've already referred, Broken. Set as it was in a Catholic parish, there were quite often shots inside the church where occasionally stained glass windows were glimpsed. And for me, stained glass, stained glass windows are one of the greatest portrayals of how God's grace is at work in our messy lives particularly those windows which are deliberately made from broken glass, like the one you see on the screen here now. This is in the Blaukirche in Berlin. And all the glass, all that beautiful blue glass that makes up these new windows was rescued and salvaged from churches that were bombed in Berlin during the war. And so now this broken mass of splintered glass becomes this glorious window through which God's grace shines like the sun. The light shines through and creates great beauty, not despite the brokenness of the glass, but because of it. So we have come tonight from our own situations of messiness to receive good things from the generous hands of God, to receive bread and wine, symbols of Christ's brokenness, Symbols of Christ's willingness to take on our mess. Bread which is broken, grapes which have been crushed, so that life may escape from them into us. 
And perhaps we've come to tonight to receive healing. For the hands of Jesus are scarred and know very well the griefs and pains we carry. This is a day of good news. Don't delay. It's offered in grace to us all. Thanks be to God. Amen.